Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, where we read you your favorite classics one bite at a time. My name is Brie Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you want to know what's coming next and vote on upcoming books, sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com. You'll also find our new t-shirts in the shop, including podcast shirts and quote shirts from your favorite classic novels. Be sure to follow my show on your favorite podcast platform so you get all the new episodes. You can find most of our links in the show notes. But also our website, biteatatimebooks.com, includes all of the links for our show, including to our Patreon to support the show, and YouTube, where we have special behind-the-narration of the episodes. We're part of the Bite at a Time Books Productions Network. If you'd also like to hear what inspired your favorite classic authors to write their novels— and what was going on in the world at the time, check out the Bite at a Time books behind the story podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please note, while we try to keep the text as close to the original as possible, some words have been changed to honor the marginalized communities who've identified the words as harmful and to stay in alignment with Bite at a Time books brand values. Today we'll be continuing The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. By Daniel Defoe. Chapter 18 The Ship Recovered. While we were thus preparing our designs, and at first by main strength heaved the boat upon the beach, so high that the tide would not float her off at high water mark, and besides had broke a hole in her bottom too big to be quickly stopped, and were set down musing what we should do, we heard the ship fire a gun and make a waft with her ensign as a signal for the boat to come on board. But no boat stirred, and they fired several times, making other signals for the boat. At last, when all their signals and firing proved fruitless, and they found the boat did not stir, we saw them by the help of my glasses, hoist another boat out and rowed towards the shore, and we found as they approached that there were no less than ten men in her, and that they had firearms with them, as the ship lay almost two leagues from the shore, we had a full view of them as they came, and a plain sight even of their faces, because the tide having set them a little to the east of the other boat, they rode up under shore, to come to the same place where the other had landed, and where the boat lay, by this means, I say, we had a full view of them, and the captain knew the persons and characters of all the men in the boat, of whom he said there were three very honest fellows, who, he was sure, were led into this conspiracy by the rest, being overpowered and frightened. But that as for the boatswain, who it seemed was the chief officer among them and all the rest, they were as outrageous as any of the ship's crew, and were no doubt made desperate in their new enterprise, and terribly apprehensive he was that they would be too powerful for us. I smiled at him and told him that men in our circumstances were past the operation of fear, that seeing almost every condition that could be was better than which we were supposed to be in, we ought to expect that the consequence, whether death or life, would be sure to be a deliverance. I asked him what he thought of the circumstances of my life, and whether a deliverance were not worth venturing for. And where, sir, said I, is your belief of my being preserved here on purpose to save your life, which elevated you a little while ago? For my part, said I, there seems to be but one thing amiss in all the prospect of it. What is that? says he. Why, said I, it is that as you say, there are three or four honest fellows among them which should be spared, 
Had they been all of the wicked part of the crew, I should have thought God's providence had singled them out to deliver them into your hands. For depend upon it, every man that comes ashore is our own, and shall die or live as they behave to us. As I spoke this with a raised voice and cheerful countenance, I found it greatly encouraged him, so we set vigorously to our business. We had, upon the first appearance of the boats coming from the ship, considered of separating our prisoners, and we had indeed secured them effectually. Two of them, of whom the captain was less assured than ordinary, I sent with Friday, and one of the three delivered men to my cave, where they were remote enough, and out of danger of being heard or discovered or finding their way out of the woods if they could have delivered themselves. Here they left them bound, but gave them provisions and promised them if they continued there quietly to give them their liberty in a day or two, but that if they attempted their escape, they should be put to death without mercy. They promised faithfully to bear their confinement with patience and were very thankful that they had such good usage as to have provisions and light left them, for Friday gave them candles, such as we made ourselves for their comfort, and they did not know but that he stood sentinel over them at the entrance. The other prisoners had better usage. Two of them were kept pinioned indeed, because the captain was not able to trust them, but the other two were taken into my service, upon the captain's recommendation, and upon their solemnly engaging to live and die with us, so with them and the three honest men we were seven men well armed." and I made no doubt we should be able to deal well enough with the ten that were coming, considering that the captain had said there were three or four honest men among them also. As soon as they got to the place where their other boat lay, they ran their boat into the beach and came all on shore, hauling the boat up after them, which I was glad to see, for I was afraid they would rather have left the boat at an anchor some distance from the shore with some hands in her to guard her, and so we should not be able to seize the boat." Being on shore, the first thing they did, they ran all to their other boat, and it was easy to see they were under a great surprise to find her stripped, as above, of all that was in her, and a great hole in her bottom. After they had mused a while upon this, they set up two or three great shouts, hallooing with all their might to try if they could make their companions hear. But all was to no purpose. Then they came all close in a ring and fired a volley of their small arms, which indeed we heard, and the echoes made the woods ring. But it was all one. Those in the cave we were sure could not hear, and those in our keeping, though they heard it well enough, yet durst give no answer to them. They were so astonished at the surprise of this that as they told us afterwards, they resolved to go all on board again to their ship, and let them know that the men were all murdered, and the longboat staved. Accordingly, they immediately launched their boat again, and got all of them on board. The captain was terribly amazed, and even confounded at this, believing they would go on board the ship again and set sail, giving their comrades over for lost, and so he should still lose the ship, which he was in hopes we should have recovered. But he was quickly as much frightened the other way. They had not been long put off with the boat when we perceived them all coming on shore again, but with this new measure in their conduct, which it seems they consulted together upon, to leave three men in the boat and the rest to go on shore and go up into the country to look for their fellows— this was a great disappointment to us, for now we were at a loss what to do, as our seizing those seven men on shore would be no advantage to us if we let the boat escape, because they would row away to the ship, and then the rest of them would be sure to weigh and set sail, and so our recovering the ship would be lost. However, we had no remedy but to wait and see what the issue of things might present. 
The seven men came on shore, and the three who remained in the boat put her off to a good distance from the shore, and came to an anchor to wait for them, so that it was impossible for us to come at them in the boat. Those that came on shore kept close together, marching towards the top of the little hill under which my habitation lay, and we could see them plainly, though they could not perceive us. We should have been very glad if they would have come nearer us, so that we might have fired at them, or that they would have gone further off that we might come abroad. But when they were come to the brow of the hill where they could see a great way into the valleys and woods which lay towards the northeast part, and where the island lay lowest, they shouted and hallooed till they were weary, and not caring, it seems, to venture far from the shore, nor far from one another. They sat down together under a tree to consider it, Had they thought fit to have gone to sleep there, as the other part of them had done, they had done the job for us. But they were too full of apprehensions of danger to venture to go to sleep, though they could not tell what the danger was they had to fear. The captain made a very just proposal to me upon this consultation of theirs, that perhaps they would all fire a volley again, to endeavor to make their fellows hear, and that we should all sally upon them just at the juncture where their pieces were all discharged, and they would certainly yield, and we should have them without bloodshed. I liked this proposal, provided it was done while we were near enough to come up to them before they could load their pieces again. But this event did not happen, and we lay still a long time, very resolute what course to take. At length, I told them there would be nothing done, in my opinion, till night, and then if they did not return to the boat, perhaps we might find a way to get between them and the shore." and so might use some stratagem with them in the boat to get them on shore. We waited a great while, though very impatient for their removing, and were very uneasy when after a long consultation we saw them all start up and march down towards the sea. It seems they had such dreadful apprehensions of the danger of the place that they resolved to go on board the ship again, give their companions over for lost, and so go on with their intended voyage with the ship." As soon as I perceived them go towards the shore, I imagined it to be as it really was that they had given over their search, and were going back again. And the captain, as soon as I told him my thoughts, was ready to sink at the apprehensions of it. But I presently thought of a stratagem to fetch them back again, and which answered my end to a tittle. I ordered Friday and the captain's mates to go over the little creek westward towards the place where the savages came on shore, when Friday was rescued." and so soon as they came to a little rising round, at about half a mile distant, I bid them halloo out as loud as they could, and wait till they found the seamen heard them, that as soon as ever they heard the seamen answer them, they should return it again, and then keeping out of sight, take a round, always answering when the others hallooed, to draw them as far into the island and among the woods as possible, and then wheel about again to me by such ways as I directed them." They were just going into the boat when Friday and the mate hallooed, and they presently heard them and, answering, ran along the shore westward towards the voice they heard, when they were stopped by the creek where the water being up they could not get over, and called for the boat to come up and set them over, as indeed I expected. When they had set themselves over, I observed that the boat being gone a good way into the creek, and as it were in a harbor within the land, they took one of the three men out of her to go along with them, and left only two in the boat, having fastened her to the stump of a little tree on the shore. This is what I wished for. And immediately leaving Friday and the captain's mate to their business, I took the rest with me. And crossing the creek out of their sight, we surprised the two men before they were aware. 
one of them lying on the shore and the other being in the boat. The fellow on shore was between sleeping and waking and going to start up. The captain, who was foremost, ran in upon him and knocked him down and then called out to him in the boat to yield or he was a dead man. They needed very few arguments to persuade a single man to yield when he saw five men upon him and his comrade knocked down. Besides, this was, it seems, one of the three who were not so hardy in the mutiny as the rest of the crew, and therefore was easily persuaded not only to yield, but afterwards to join very sincerely with us. In the meantime, Friday and the captain's mate so well managed their business with the rest that they drew them, by hallooing and answering from one hill to another, and from one wood to another, till they not only heartily tired them, but left them where they were, very sure they could not reach back to the boat before it was dark, and indeed they were heartily tired themselves also by the time they came back to us. We had nothing now to do but to watch for them in the dark and to fall upon them, so as to make sure work with them. It was several hours after Friday came back to me before they came back to their boat, and we could hear the foremost of them long before they came quite up, calling to those behind to come along, and could also hear them answer and complain how lame and tired they were, and not able to come any faster, which was very welcome news to us. At length they came up to the boat, but it is impossible to express their confusion when they found the boat fast aground in the creek, the tide ebbed out, and their two men gone. We could hear them call one to another in a most lamentable manner, telling one another that they were got into an enchanted island, that either there were inhabitants in it and they should all be murdered, or else there were devils and spirits in it, and they should be all carried away and devoured. They hallooed again and called their two comrades by their names a great many times, but no answer. After some time, we could see them. By the little light there was, run about, wringing their hands like men in despair, and sometimes they would go and sit down in the boat to rest themselves, then come ashore again and walk about again, and so the same thing over again. My men would fain have had me give them leave to fall upon them at once in the dark, but I was willing to take them at some advantage so as to spare them and kill as few of them as I could, and especially I was unwilling to hazard the killing of any of our men, knowing the others were very well armed. I resolved to wait, to see if they did not separate and therefore to make sure of them, I drew my ambuscade nearer and ordered Friday and the captain to creep upon their hands and feet, as close to the ground as they could, that they might not be discovered, and get as near them as they could possibly before they offered to fire. They had not been long in that posture when the boatswain, who was the principal ringleader of the mutiny, and had now shown himself the most dejected and dispirited of all the rest, came walking towards them, with two more of the crew, the captain was so eager at having this principal rogue so much in his power that he could hardly have patience to let him come so near as to be sure of him, for they only heard his tongue before. But when they came nearer, the captain and Friday, starting up on their feet, let fly at them. The boatswain was killed upon the spot. The next man was shot in the body and fell just by him, though he did not die till an hour or two after, and the third ran for it. At the noise of the fire, I immediately advanced with my whole army, which was now eight men. Myself, General Lissimo, Friday, my lieutenant general, the captain and his two men, and the three prisoners of war whom we had trusted with arms. We came upon them indeed in the dark so that they could not see our number, and I made the man they had left in the boat, 
who was now one of us, to call them by name, to try, if I could, bring them to a parlay, and so perhaps might reduce them to terms, which fell out just as we desired. For indeed, it was easy to think, as their condition then was, they would be very willing to capitulate. So he calls out as loud as he could to one of them, "'Tom Smith! Tom Smith!' Tom Smith answered immediately, "'Is that Robinson?' For it seems he knew the voice." The other answered, "'Aye, aye, for God's sake, Tom Smith, throw down your arms and yield, or you are all dead men this moment. Who must we yield to? Where are they?' says Smith again. "'Here they are,' says he. "'Here's our captain and fifty men with him. Have been hunting you these two hours. The boatswain is killed. Will Fry is wounded, and I'm a prisoner. And if you do not yield, you are all lost. "'Will they give us a quarter, then?' says Tom Smith.' And we will yield. I'll go and ask if you promise to yield, said Robinson. So he asked the captain, and the captain himself then calls out, You, Smith, you know my voice. If you lay down your arms immediately and submit, you shall have your lives all but Will Adkins. Upon this, Will Adkins cried out, For God's sake, Captain, give me quarter. What have I done? They have all been as bad as I. Which, by the way, was not true. For it seems this Will Adkins was the first man that laid hold of the captain when they first mutinied, and used him barbarously in tying his hands and giving him injurious language. However, the captain told him he must lay down his arms at discretion, and trust the governor's mercy by which he meant me, for they all called me governor. In a word, they all laid down their arms and begged their lives, and I sent the men that had parlayed with them and two more who bound them all and then my great army of fifty men— which, with those three, were in all but eight, came up and seized upon them, and upon their boat, only that I kept myself and one more out of sight for reasons of state. Our next work was to repair the boat and think of seizing the ship, and as for the captain, now he had leisure to parley with them, he expostulated with them upon the villainy of their practices with him, and upon the further wickedness of their design, and how certainly it must bring them to misery and distress in the end, and perhaps to the gallows, they all appeared very penitent, and begged hard for their lives. As for that, he told them they were not his prisoners, but the commanders of the island, that they thought they had set him on shore in a barren, uninhabited island, but it had pleased God so to direct them that it was inhabited and that the governor was an Englishman, that he might hang them all there if he pleased. But as he had given them all quarter, he supposed he would send them to England to be dealt with there as justice required, except Adkins, whom he was commanded by the governor to advise to prepare for death, for that he would be hanged in the morning. Though this was all but a fiction of his own, yet it had its desired effect. Adkins fell upon his knees to beg the captain to intercede with the governor for his life, and all the rest begged of him for God's sake that they might not be sent to England. It now occurred to me that the time of our deliverance was come, and that it would be a most easy thing to bring these fellows in to be hardy in getting possession of the ship— so I retired in the dark from them, that they might not see what kind of a governor they had and call the captain to me. When I called at a good distance, one of the men was ordered to speak again and say to the captain, Captain, the commander calls for you. And presently the captain replied, Tell his excellency I'm just coming. This more perfectly amazed them, and they all believed that the commander was just by with his fifty men. Upon the captain coming to me, I told him my project for seizing the ship, 
which he liked wonderfully well and resolved to put it in execution the next morning. But in order to execute it with more art and to be secure of success, I told him we must divide the prisoners, and that he should go and take Adkins and two more of the worst of them, and send them pinioned to the cave where the others lay. This was committed to Friday and the two men who came on shore with the captain. They conveyed them to the cave as to the prison, and it was indeed a dismal place, especially to men in their condition. The others I ordered to my bower, as I called it, of which I've given a full description, and as it was fenced in and they pinioned that the place was secure enough considering they were upon their behavior. To these in the morning I sent the captain who was to enter into a parley with them, in a word, to try them and tell me whether he thought they might be trusted or not to go on board and surprise the ship. He talked to them of the injury done him, of the condition they were brought to, and that though the governor had given them quarter for their lives as to the present action, yet that if they were sent to England, they would all be hanged in chains, but that if they would join in so just an attempt as to recover the ship, he would have the governor's engagement for their pardon." Anyone may guess how readily such a proposal would be accepted by men in their condition. They fell down on their knees to the captain and promised with the deepest imprecations that they would be faithful to him to the last drop, and that they should owe their lives to him and would go with him all over the world, that they would own him as a father to them as long as they lived. Well, says the captain, I must go and tell the governor what you say and see what I can do to bring him to consent to it so he brought me an account of the temper he found in them, and that he verily believed they would be faithful. However, that we might be very secure, I told him he should go back again and choose out those five and tell them that they might see he did not want men, that he would take out those five to be his assistants, and that the governor would keep the other two and the three that were sent prisoners to the castle, my cave, as hostages for the fidelity of those five, and that if they proved unfaithful in the execution, the five hostages should be hanged in chains alive on the shore. This looked severe and convinced them that the governor was in earnest. However, they had no way left them but to accept it, and it was now the business of the prisoners as much as of the captain to persuade the other five to do their duty. Our strength was now thus ordered for the expedition. First, the captain, his mate and passenger... Second, the two prisoners of the first gang to whom, having their character from the captain, I had given their liberty and trusted them with arms. Third, the other two that I had kept till now in my bower, pinioned but on the captain's motion, had now released. Fourth, these five released at last, so that there were twelve in all, besides five we kept prisoners in the cave for hostages. As the captain, if he was willing to venture with these hands on board the ship... But as for me and my man Friday, I did not think it was proper for us to stir, having seven men left behind. And it was employment enough for us to keep them asunder and supply them with victuals. As to the five in the cave, I resolved to keep them fast. But Friday went in twice a day to them to supply them with necessaries. And I made the other two carry provisions to a certain distance where Friday was to take them. When I showed myself to the two hostages, it was with the captain who told them I was the person the governor had ordered to look after them, and that it was the governor's pleasure that they should not stir anywhere but by my direction, that if they did, they would be fetched into the castle and be laid in irons, so that as we never suffered them to see me as governor, I now appeared as another person and spoke of the governor, the garrison, the castle, and the like upon all occasions. The captain now had no difficulty before him, but to furnish his two boats, stop the breach of one, and man them, 
he made his passenger captain of one. With four of the men and himself, his mate, and five more went in the other, and they contrived their business very well, for they came up to the ship about midnight. As soon as they came within call of the ship, he made Robinson hail them, and tell them they had brought off the men and the boat, but that it was a long time before they had found them, and the like, holding them in a chat till they came to the ship's side. When the captain and the mate, entering first with their arms, immediately knocked down the second mate and carpenter with the butt end of their muskets, being very faithfully seconded by their men, they secured all the rest that were upon the main and quarter decks and began to fasten the hatches to keep them down that were below. When the other boat and their men, entering at the fore chains, secured the forecastle of the ship, and the scuttle which went down into the cook room, making three men they found their prisoners. When this was done and all safe upon deck, the captain ordered the mate with three men to break into the round house, where the new rebel captain lay, who, having taken the alarm, had got up, and with two men and a boy had got firearms in their hands. And when the mate, with a crow, split open the door, the new captain and his men fired boldly among them, and wounded the mate with a musket ball, which broke his arm and wounded two more of the men, but killed nobody, the mate, calling for help, rushed, however, into the roundhouse. Wounded as he was, and with his pistol, shot the new captain through the head, the bullet entering at his mouth and came out again behind one of his ears so that he never spoke a word more, upon which the rest yielded and the ship was taken effectually without any more lives lost. As soon as the ship was thus secured, the captain ordered seven guns to be fired, which was the signal agreed upon with me to give me notice of his success, which you may be sure I was very glad to hear, having sat watching upon the shore for it till near two o'clock in the morning. Having thus heard the signal plainly, I laid me down, and it having been a day of great fatigue to me, I slept very sound, till I was surprised with the noise of a gun, and presently I heard a man call me by the name of, Governor, Governor, and presently I knew the captain's voice. When climbing up to the top of the hill, there he stood, and pointing to the ship, he embraced me in his arms, "'My dear friend and deliverer,' says he, "'there's your ship, for she's all yours, and so are we, "'and all that belong to her.' "'I cast my eyes to the ship, "'and there she rode within little more than half a mile of the shore, "'for they had weighed her anchor as soon as they were masters of her, "'and the weather being fair had brought her to an anchor "'just against the mouth of the little creek. "'And the tide being up, the captain had brought the pinnace in "'near the place where I had first landed my rafts, "'and so landed just at my door.' I was at first ready to sink down with the surprise, for I saw my deliverance indeed visibly put into my hands, all things easy and a large ship just ready to carry me away whither I pleased to go. At first for some time I was not able to answer him one word. But as he had taken me in his arms I held fast by him, or I should have fallen to the ground. He perceived the surprise, and immediately pulled a bottle out of his pocket and gave me a dram of cordial, which he had brought on purpose for me. After I had drunk it, I sat down upon the ground and thought it brought me to myself, yet it was a good while before I could speak a word to him. All this time, the poor man was in as great an ecstasy as I, only not under any surprise as I was, and he said a thousand kind and tender things to me to compose and bring me to myself. But such was the flood of joy in my breast that I put all my spirits into confusion. At last, it broke out into tears, and in a little while after, I recovered my speech. I then took my turn and embraced him as my deliverer, and we rejoiced together. I told
told him I looked upon him as a man sent by heaven to deliver me, and that the whole transaction seemed to be a chain of wonders that such things as these were the testimonies we had a secret hand of providence governing the world, and an evidence that the eye of an infinite power could search into the remotest corner of the world and send help to the miserable whenever he pleased. I forgot not to lift up my heart in thankfulness to heaven, and what heart could forbear to bless him who had not only in a miraculous manner provided for me in such a wilderness, and in such a desolate condition, but from whom every deliverance must always be acknowledged to proceed. When we had talked a while, the captain told me he had brought me some little refreshment, such as the ship afforded, and such as the wretches that had been so long his masters had not plundered him of. Upon this, he called aloud to the boat, and bade his men bring the things ashore that were for the governor. And indeed, it was a present as if I had been one that was not to be carried away with them, but as if I had been to dwell upon the island still. First, he had brought me a case of bottles full of excellent cordial waters, six large bottles of Bendira wine. The bottles held two quarts each, two pounds of excellent good tobacco, twelve good pieces of the ship's beef and six pieces of pork with a bag of peas and about a hundredweight of biscuit, he also brought me a box of sugar, a box of flour, a bag full of lemons and two bottles of lime juice, an abundance of other things. But besides these and what was a thousand times more useful to me, he brought me six new clean shirts, six very good neckcloths, two pair of gloves and one pair of shoes, a hat and one pair of stockings with a very good suit of clothes of his own, which had been worn but very little. In a word, he clothed me from head to foot, it was a very kind and agreeable present, as anyone may imagine, to one in my circumstances. But never was anything in the world of that kind so unpleasant, awkward, and uneasy as it was to me to wear such clothes at first. After these ceremonies were passed, and after all his good things were brought into my little apartment, we began to consult what was to be done with the prisoners we had, for it was worth considering whether we might venture to take them with us or no especially two of them whom we knew to be incorrigible and refractory to the last degree. And the captain said he knew they were such rogues that there was no obliging them, and if he did carry them away, it must be in irons as malefactors to be delivered over to the justice at the first English colony he could come to. And I found that the captain himself was very anxious about it. Upon this, I told him that if he desired it, I would undertake to bring the two men he spoke of to make their own request, that he should leave them upon the island." I should be very glad of that, says the captain, with all my heart. Well, says I, I will send for them up and talk with them for you. So I caused Friday and the two hostages, for they were now discharged, their comrades having performed their promise. I say I caused them to go to the cave and bring up the five men, pinioned as they were, to the bower, and keep them there till I came. After some time I came thither dressed in my new habit, and now I was called governor again. Being all met, and the captain with me, I caused the men to be brought before me, and I told them I had got a full account of their villainous behavior to the captain, and how they had run away with the ship and were preparing to commit further robberies, but that providence had ensnared them in their own ways, and that they were fallen into the pit which they had dug for others. I let them know that by my direction the ship had been seized, that she lay now in the road, and they might see by and by that their new captain had received the reward of his villainy, and that they would see him hanging in the yard arm, that as to them, I wanted to know what they had to say, why I should not execute them as pirates taken in the fact, 
As by my commission, they could not doubt but I had authority so to do. One of them answered in the name of the rest, that they had nothing to say but this, that when they were taken, the captain promised them their lives, and they humbly implored my mercy. But I told them I knew not what mercy to show them, for as for myself, I had resolved to quit the island with all my men, and had taken passage with the captain to go to England. And as for the captain, he could not carry them to England other than his prisoners and irons, to be tried for mutiny and running away with the ship, the consequence of which they must needs know would be the gallows, so that I could not tell what was best for them, unless they had a mind to take their fate in the island, if they desired that as I had liberty to leave the island. I had some inclination to give them their lives, if they thought they could shift on shore, they seemed very thankful for it and said they would much rather venture to stay there than be carried to England to be hanged. So I left it on that issue. However, the captain seemed to make some difficulty of it, as if he durst not leave them there. Upon this, I seemed a little angry with the captain and told him that they were my prisoners, not his, and that seeing I had offered them so much favor, I would be as good as my word, and that if he did not think fit to consent to it, I would set them at liberty as I found them, and if he did not like it, he might take them again if he could catch them. Upon this, they appeared very thankful, and I accordingly set them at liberty and bade them retire into the woods, to the place whence they came, and I would leave them some firearms, some ammunition, and some directions how they should live very well if they thought fit. Upon this, I prepared to go on board the ship, but told the captain I would stay that night to prepare my things and desire him to go on board in the meantime and keep all right in the ship." and send the boat on shore next day for me, ordering him at all events to cause the new captain, who was killed, to be hanged at the yard arm, that these men might see him. When the captain was gone, I sent for the men up to me to my apartment, and entered seriously into the discourse with them on their circumstances. I told them I thought they had made a right choice, that if the captain had carried them away, they would certainly be hanged, I showed them the new captain hanging at the yardarm of the ship, and told them they had nothing less to expect. When they had all declared their willingness to stay, I then told them I would let them into the story of my living there, and put them into the way of making it easy to them. Accordingly, I gave them the whole history of the place and of my coming to it, showed them my fortifications, the way I made my bread, planted my corn, cured my grapes, and in a word, all that was necessary to make them easy— I told them the story also of the seventeen Spaniards that were to be expected, for whom I left a letter and made them promise to treat them in common with themselves. Here it may be noted that the captain, who had ink on board, was greatly surprised that I never hit upon a way of making ink of charcoal and water, or of something else, as I had done things much more difficult. I left them my firearms, five muskets, three fowling pieces, and three swords— I had above a barrel and a half of powder left, for after the first year or two I used but little and wasted none. I gave them a description of the way I managed the goats, and directions to milk and fatten them, and to make both butter and cheese. In a word, I gave them every part of my own story, and told them I should prevail with the captain to leave them two barrels of gunpowder more, and some garden seeds which I told them I would have been very glad of. Also I gave them the bag of peas which the captain had brought me to eat, and bade them to be sure to sow and increase them. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books today, while we read a bite of one of your favorite classics. Again, my name is Bree Carlisle, and I hope you come back tomorrow for the next bite of The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe.
Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at biteatatimebooks.com and check out the shop. You can check out the show notes or our website, biteatatimebooks.com, for the rest of the links for our show. We'd love to hear from you on social media as well.